Good morning. Welcome to this time of worship at Houghton Wesleyan Church. Please stand and join me in the call to worship that is printed in your bulletin. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being your body. We ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts today to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.
It is uh, good to see all of you as we gather for worship today. Let me uh, add my Happy Mother's Day to those of you to whom that is appropriate. I hope you have a a chance today to spend a little time with family and maybe uh, to reconnect perhaps from distance that you've had. We are... um, we have a couple of things I want to highlight in the bulletin this morning. Uh, one of them, actually, let me just mention to you the schedule in the back, that uh, our worship schedule changes next Sunday. This service will remain the same at 11 o'clock through the end of June, but the uh, earlier service schedule changes a bit, and just note that. Before you're seated, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. Good morning, and happy Mother's Day to everyone who has a mother. (laughs) I didn't want to leave anybody out, so. This morning, I want to just say how grateful I am for the privilege of being here in this position as Director of Children's Ministry. I'm having so much fun. I love being with the children and playing with them and then sending them back home to you afterwards. (laughs) But I have such wonderful people to work with, all the volunteers that bless our children on a regular basis, amazing Sunday school superintendents and junior church leaders and children's church teachers and kids club leaders and nursery helpers and the valley preschool staff and church librarians and our Sunday school teachers, and I could go on. There's so much volunteering and help and blessing going on with the adults to the children, and I'm hoping from the children to the adults as well. This morning, I thought it would be appropriate if everyone who helps out in some way in our children's ministry would just stand so we can give you a thank you this morning. So if you help out in any of those ministries, just stand up for a second. Thank you so much. I almost forgot WKFM should have been in that list, too. This morning we're um, going to see a little video of the children that sang during the first and second services. We didn't want to make them come back for a third service to sing again. I think they probably would not have had a very long enough attention span to sit through the beginning of this service as well. So we're going to see them on video. But I wanted to mention that every Sunday morning... Before Sunday school, Jan Schilke takes the kids in the primary assembly room and teaches them scripture through music, which is such a wonderful way to learn scripture. And they sing these beautiful songs. So this morning, they're going to sing via video um, from Psalm 46, verse 1. I also want to thank all of you that pray for us, for our programs that go on on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. I know so many of you are wonderful prayer warriors, and that's why we're here. That's why we can um, be a good children's program here at our church. And we also have 30 dedicated and 
just wonderful Sunday school teachers that I want to thank this morning. They, I appreciate them so much. And if any of you are interested in joining the team as just a prayer partner or to come and teach or assist, please let me know. There's always openings in that area. So enjoy the video of the kids that sang this morning. Old Testament reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the singing of the doxology as the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings.
Lord, you bless us in countless ways each and every day. And now we give back to you, and we pray that you would use these gifts to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
children of God, we come to him in confidence that he invites us and he calls us to be honest. And so I want to invite you to join with me in the prayer of confession as we honestly confess our sins, knowing that God hears and forgives. Let us pray. Almighty God, we confess that we often fail in our calling to be your holy people a people set apart for your divine purposes. We are often more cynical than hopeful. We are moved more by private ambition than by justice for those who need it most. We dream more of privilege and benefits than of service and sacrifice. We too often try to live in our own power rather than yours. Forgive us, revive us, Reshape us in your image, reminding us that though our sins are as scarlet, in your grace they are made white as snow. Amen. If you've had a chance to look at the, uh, the prayer concerns in the bulletin, you'll notice that the missionary moment and the persecuted church both focus on Egypt. We are privileged this morning to have the Reverend Dr. Atif Sidholm with us here in worship today. And uh, it struck me that it it would be an appropriate thing for us to have him and and his son John to come here to the front and those of you who would like to gather around him and to pray God's blessing upon him. And this is a, um, he has a great responsibility and God has given him a great privilege. And uh, we are excited to have this connection with him. So I'm going to ask you to come and stand down here. And those of you who would like to join in prayer of blessing for, uh, for them, please come and join us. If you're close, you can we can lay hands on them. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to worship today, we are reminded that the church is so much bigger than us. 
And we are grateful for that. We thank you for the privileges we have and the opportunities we have to connect with your church around the world. This morning, Father, we pray for Pastor Siddham as he leads the church, the Wesleyan Church in Egypt. A great privilege, a great responsibility. We ask that your anointing would be upon him as he leads and as he pastors his church. Pray that you would give him wisdom beyond himself. That you would surround him with leaders in this local church and in the churches who are committed to you and who see the vision that you have for the Wesleyan Church in Egypt. We thank you for the, for the churches and the people who are there who, who worship you and follow you sometimes at great risk. May they know your grace, your loving kindness, and your presence in all that they are and do. We pray, Father, that your anointing would be upon the churches as uh, they are attempting to raise funds to, to, uh, to build a, a place where the churches can come together and they can have camps and gatherings where they would otherwise be restricted. We pray that you will provide not only the funds, but the people to do the work and the people to fill the buildings and to see a great revival of your church in the land of Egypt that you love so much. Father, during this season of Ramadan, we pray that the church would see you at work in them. May, there, may they bear witness to, to the love of Jesus Christ. May there be tremendous fruit, more than we could dream or imagine, because of the presence of your people among neighbors and co-workers and others they encounter. And in this place that, that feels like there is such great opposition, and there is great opposition, may they see your Spirit doing the miraculous and give them hope, give them faith, and do more than we could dream or imagine. May your anointing be upon Pastor Siddham in his leadership, in his serving, in his family, and in all that he is doing. For your kingdom. Father, we thank you for your church around the world. We thank you for your church right by us. We thank you for the children that we saw. Help us as a church to continue to nurture them in the faith that they, every one of them, every single one of them, would live their lives following you. They would be worldwide Christians. We pray, Father, for for the church in Angelica, St. Paul's Lutheran Church, and Pastor Hoyt. May your anointing be upon them as they worship you and serve you. And Father, for the needs that we represent today, Lord, we pray that you would comfort us in our grief. We think especially of Kathy Reitenauer and her family. We pray that you would heal our diseases, that you would be at work in the struggles and the burdens of our lives. Give us grace to see the future and your leading and guiding. Restore relationships that are broken. Do the miraculous here as well. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are good. We thank you for your blessings. May we be united in Christ. And it's in his name that we offer our prayers. Remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Trip.
Our New Testament reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've come to the conclusion that most of us have a very small, narrow, perhaps skewed view of heaven. We have uh, come to believe that heaven is predominantly about clouds and harps and, um, I guess, floating around in some capacity. And the reality is, for many of us, heaven just doesn't seem like something real. It, It feels like something that, you know, is out there, we're happy about it, it's better than the alternative, but, you know, it doesn't quite grab us, right? And I I think that, you know, it's, it's to our detriment that we have come to that mindset. Because when you read the scriptures, you find that heaven is, is so much bigger and so much wider, and so much deeper, and so much more than any of us could imagine. We, when we read the scriptures, we, we hear about a new heaven and a new earth. That is, this restored earth and this renewed earth, where heaven and earth come together, and the will of God is done perfectly, and every person who is there wants what God wants completely. And we are with him. I was thinking about that struggle we have about heaven recently when I was reading something and they referenced a a particular passage from uh, C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle. It's the seventh in the last in the series of the the Chronicles of Narnia. And and in, in in that book, Lewis is talking about how the children who have been integral to the story from the beginning, are on their way to Aslan's country. And they are they're happy to be coming to Aslan's country, but at the same time, they are grieving and lamenting because Narnia is no more. Narnia, that place where they first encountered Aslan, that place where where their lives were turned upside down, that place where they began to understand things about life and about themselves that they never knew before. That transformational place was gone. And so even as they make their way to Aslan's country, they do it with heavy hearts. And in the midst of that journey, there is this conversation. Those hills, said Lucy. The nice woody ones and and the blue ones behind, aren't they very like the southern border of Narnia? Like, cried Edmund after a moment's silence, they're exactly like. Look, there's Mount Pyre with his forked head and there's the pass into Archenland and everything. And yet, yet they're not alike, said Lucy. 
they're different. They have more colors. And they look further away than I remembered. And they're more, more, I don't know, more like the real thing, said the Lord Diggory. Suddenly, Farsight the eagle spread his wings and soared 30, 40 feet up into the air, circled around, and then alighted on the ground. And he said, kings and queens, we have all been blind. We are only beginning to see where we are. From up there, I can see it all. Edensmuir, Beaver's Dam, the Great River, Care Paravel still shining on the edge of the Eastern Sea. Narnia is not dead. This is Narnia. But how can it be, said Peter? Aslan told us older ones that we should never return to Narnia. And here we are. Yes, said Eustace, and, and we saw it all destroyed and the sun put out. And it's all so different, said Lucy. The eagle is right, said Lord, the Lord Diggory. Listen, Peter, when Aslan said you could never go back to Narnia, he meant the Narnia you were thinking of. But that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and an end. It was only a shadow or a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and always will be here. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof. He neighed and he cried, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all of my life. I just never knew it until now. The reason why we loved the old Narnia is that sometimes it looked like this. I love Lewis's description. Colors, the bigness, the connectedness. And I think we need a new vision of the new heaven and the new earth. And I believe that's why Paul writes to the Colossians and says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Because when you think about the things of earth, when you focus on the things of earth, you end up with a very narrow, skewed view of God and of ourselves. We always think about about the new heaven and the new earth and what that day will be, primarily about God, and we should. But there is also something we need to know and remember and see about us. And it struck me when we read the last chapter of Revelation, who we are. Listen to it once again. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. 
and they will see his face. And his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them. And they will reign forever and ever. Did you hear that last part? The people of God will reign forever and ever. It's one of the most phenomenal promises in all of Scripture. That those who have given their allegiance to Jesus, those who yearn for Jesus and recognize their need for Jesus, those whose lives are submitted and surrendered to Jesus, have an inheritance of royalty. And I don't think we really believe that. I think we wrestle to believe that's true. We spend so much time, rightly so, thinking about being humble and thinking about taking the back place that we don't hear where we're going to end. That the day is coming when we will receive this inheritance and we will be kings and queens. That was God's intent from the beginning. Look at the creation story. Genesis chapter 1. God creates all of the earth and then he creates human beings. And he says to them, fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply. And then he says, govern it and reign over the birds and the fish and all the animals that scurry along the ground. We were created to be royalty. We were created to reign. And the day is coming when that inheritance will be ours. An inheritance, Paul says, that will not spoil or fade and will not, will, cannot be taken away from us. It is the inheritance of those who've given their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Jesus hints at this in, the, in his teachings when he tells the, the parable about the master and the servants and he leaves them with the talents and he goes off and he comes back and he says to those who, who prove to him that he is important to them and that they're going to stand with him and they've given their allegiance to him, he says to them, well done. You're a good servant. You've been faithful with the little things. Now I'm going to give, help give you, allow you to govern over cities. That's your reward. Matthew says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this, this small amount. I'm going to give you many, many more responsibilities. Let's go celebrate together. Our inheritance is royal authority in the kingdom. And I'm convinced that the struggle we have with that is causing us to live, not just then, but now, far different than what God intends for us. What usually ends up, when we, when we miss what God has for us, we end up living out of our fears and our insecurities. When we read Genesis chapter 3, you could see the insecurity of human humanity, you could see it just evolving. Adam and Eve reject God. They rebel against God. And what happens? Now they feel shame. They run and hide. They start blaming each other. 
insecurity. Why is it that, that greed is such a temptation for us? Because something in us says, if I, if I could just get more, I would be valuable. I'd have worth. Why is it that power is such, a, such an allure for us? Because something in us says, I, I, need, I need to be able to control things. I need to be able to rule over things. I need to have, be able to tell people what to do. I need to, I need to be the person everyone looks to and says, wow, they're important. Why? Because I don't feel important. Why is it that we hurt each other and mess up our relationships so much? Why are we so self-centered in our relationships? Because we keep trying to do things to make people see how lovable we are. But what we actually do is end up pushing them away. Because everything becomes about us. We spend our lives trying to prove to people we're important. We have value. We have worth. We have significance. And we live in those insecurities. You might be able to, to say that the whole history of human, of human beings from, the, from Genesis chapter 3 forward is just a history of people living out their insecurities. And over and over again, I, mean, I think you could make a case for everything that people do, war and violence and all the ways in which we sin, rooted in our insecurities. Something in us is missing. missing. Something in us isn't right And so we go looking for it, however we can get it. And the troubling thing is that the church does the same thing. We live the same way with each other. Why is it Paul talks so much about unity? Because we're not. You see it in every single letter that Paul writes Division, disunity, fighting. Why? Because people are living in their insecurities instead of in the inheritance of who we are as royal children of God. Kings and queens. And our focus is lost. When you know that you are a child of God, when you begin to get a grasp of who we are and our inheritance in Christ, then the teachings of Jesus begin to make a lot more sense. Blessed are the poor in spirit instead of blessed are those who grasp for everything they can. Blessed are those who are merciful instead of those who take advantage of those struggling with life. That the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That you, you, you need to come into the kingdom in the spirit of a little child. Quite frankly, none of that makes any sense. Unless it's in the context of who we are and our royal inheritance that God has promised us. When you know that we are children of God, you can give yourself away. You can serve. You can love and not worrying about whether we're going to be loved back or not. We just love. We surrender and we sacrifice. And we look, quite frankly, like Jesus. It has fascinated me for years that when John introduces 
the dialogue and the story of the upper room in the Gospel of John. When he introduces that, he says, Jesus, knowing that he had come from God and was returning to God, takes a towel and a basin and gets down his hands and knees and washes the stinking, dirty feet of his disciples. How can he do that? Because he knows who he is. He knows that he is the child of his father and he is secure in that. And when you know that, you can do the unimaginable. I find it fascinating that how often suffering and rewards are connected in Paul's writings, in the scriptures. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes to them about if we, if we die with him, we're going to live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. He says to the Philippians, for you've not been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Christ. And he writes to the church at Rome. And he says that, that we are heirs of Christ. We are children of God. And as heirs and fellow heirs with Christ, we will have that provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I don't think Paul is creating a formula here. I don't think Paul is saying, all right, if you suffer, then you get the rewards. I think what he's saying is, once you understand who you are and what God has promised you, there is an inner sense of freedom to give yourself away. There's an inner sense of freedom to give up your life, to suffer with those who suffer, to weep with those who weep, and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Because life becomes far less about us and more about others. I think this is the motivation for evangelism. That we share the truth of Jesus without worrying of how people will respond to us. This is, I think, the heart of justice. That we get involved in the pains and the agony and the hurt and, and, and the difficulties of our world. And we can give ourselves away in serving others and caring for others and thinking about others because we aren't trying to prove we're valuable. We know we're valuable to the king. I'm, it seems to me, because I've walked through my life, that the people, when I've struggled with arrogance, when other people I know struggle with arrogance, it's not because we think too highly of ourselves. It's think because we think too little of ourselves. And we're trying to prove to people we are better than we think we are. But the truth of the kingdom is that we are royalty. And we need to embrace that and live our lives out of that truth. It's a glorious, glorious truth. You know, this is a, a day when we celebrate mothers. And it, <clears throat> it may be for you uh, a wonderful day. It, it brings to your mind wonderful memories. You have family relationships are positive. Maybe it's the opposite of that for you. Maybe your thoughts about 
about your mother or your family are not positive. Maybe this day brings to you pain and grief. Maybe it's an agonizing day. It's a day when we remember that even in the best of families, they're not perfect. And this is a day when, when again, as we give thanks for our families, we're reminded families are messy. And, being, and doing family right is hard. And it's no different in the church. It's hard to be the family of God. It's difficult to be brothers and sisters. It's hard to act like brothers and sisters, though sometimes we act like brothers and sisters, right? God's calling us to something more than that. And how is it possible for us to have the kind of relationships that the Scripture calls us to? Because we know who we are in Christ. One of my favorite preachers is Fred Craddock. I I lamented when he died a few years ago. He was in his 90s. When he was still preaching, I would have walked miles to hear him preach. And I remember him telling a story one time about being with his wife on vacation in the Smoky Mountains. They were down there just trying to get away. They went into a restaurant, sat down. And uh, just wanting to relax and get away from people. And he noticed there was an older gentleman who was making the rounds through all the tables in this restaurant, talking to the patrons. And eventually he came to their table. And they could tell that he probably had, was probably the owner or one of the owners of the restaurant. It looked like he owned the place. And he came to their table and he said, so how are you folks today? Fine, thank you. You on vacation? Yeah. You having a good time? Yeah. I hope that continues. And he started to turn to walk away, and then he stopped, and he turned back, and he said, by the way, he looked at Fred Craddock, he said, what do you do? He said, well, I teach in a seminary. The guy's eyes lit up, and he said, oh, you're a preacher. He said, I want to tell you a story. And he pulled up a chair, and he sat down. And they're thinking, what just happened here? We're just here for a quiet dinner. He said, I was raised in these hills. And my mother was not married. And in those days, it was great shame. And the shame that fell on her fell on me. She said, the children at school had names for me. I ate alone. I hid at recess. I'd walk down the street and I would, I would see the stares and the looks, people pointing, whispering. I knew what they were saying. There was a church, he said, down in those hills called Laurel Springs. A country church. Isn't that a preacher in that church? Big man, long black hair, big black beard. Wore a Prince Albert coat. Crackly voice. He said, said he frightened me, but he also fascinated me. He said, I started, I started showing up at church. And I'd get there late and I'd leave early because I don't want anyone talking to me because I expected somebody to say to me, hey, what's a boy like you doing in church? He said, one Sunday, I'm saying people kind of bunched up in the aisle. 
And he said, I couldn't get out like I normally did. And he said, I began to panic. And I began to get fearful. I'm thinking, what are these people going to say to me? Somebody's going to say something. And in the middle of that panic was rising, I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I slowly turned and I saw that big black coat. And I looked up at that big black beard. And those piercing eyes. And I began to wilt. And that preacher turned me around. And he said, I know you. He said, I know you. He said, you, you're a child of, and the man said, I thought to myself, oh man, what's he going to say? He looked him in the eye and he said, you're a child. You're a child of God. I see a striking resemblance. And he said, he swatted me on the backside and he said, now go claim your inheritance. And the man sitting at that table said, I was born that day. I started living. And Fred Craddock said to him, sir, what's your name? He said, Ben Hooper. He said, I thought to myself, Ben Hooper, Ben Hooper. That name sounded familiar. And all of a sudden it came to him. He said, I remembered my father telling me how the people of Tennessee had twice elected a governor by the name of Ben Hooper. And the Apostle Paul says to us, Think on heavenly things, not earthly things. For you died to this life, and you have been made alive to life in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus, your life, appears and reveals himself to the whole world, you and you and you and you and you and you will share in his glory. And the call of the gospel is to claim our inheritance and to live like we believe it as children of God. Father, may that be so for us. Amen.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.